This is a Squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. The Weekly Wrap is the week in news and what's coming up. I'm Kate Watson. And I'm Claire Kimball. Before we get into this episode, Claire, would everyone please take a moment, grab your phone, open up Instagram, search for the Squiz News Club and hit follow, please. Yep. And we guarantee that you won't regret doing that because what that Instagram follow will do is make it so much easier for you to keep across what we're reading, watching, listening, all of that stuff throughout the week. In news, of course, and it won't be everything, but just the good stuff, the stuff that we're recommending uh, you use to keep yourself more informed. It's really a one-stop shop for news, saves you waiting through news sites. We've got you. Hit follow. Now to the show, Claire. (laughs) Super Bowl. Yeah. It's impossible not to talk about that this week. Um, Also, though, storms, fires and a big power outage in Victoria and a big election in Indonesia and, Kate, a slightly smaller one in Tasmania. Did the numbers. It's a few hundred million people smaller. (laughs) Just a little bit smaller. Just a margin. Yeah. Yeah. Coming up next week, more company results, Julian Assange's final hearing and a couple of celebrity-themed recommendations from us this week. Let's do it. Claire, as I said, I don't know how anyone could escape the news of the Super Bowl this week. Yeah, completely unavoidable. It was saturation coverage even here in Australia. Sure was. Jeff Goldblum's reaction to being filmed on the big screen whilst at the match was the most clicked link out of the Squiz Today newsletter. So it seems the Super Bowl is what the people want, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, it was a lot this week. And we note, though, in that most clicked link, it was Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. It wasn't Taylor Swift or Travis Kelsey. I think that's going to be the last time we mention Taylor Swift in this (laughs) podcast. That is a challenge to both of us. Before we get to the most covered story of the week, though, I wanted to mention that every week we look across the news data that comes through on what's getting the most coverage. Since the 7th of October, Claire, the war between Israel and Hamas has been in the top five-ish news stories each and every week. This week it dropped out. What does this say? Look, it's a really good question. There's still so much happening there, Mm. of course. And this week, all the talk has been around an imminent ground invasion of Rafah by Israel. It's notable because Rafah was declared a safe zone for civilians by Israel, but it seems that that's no longer the case. Yeah, we've seen world leaders, including Anthony Albanese, express concerns about this. There have been airstrikes on Rafah, but no ground invasion as yet. That's an important distinction. There are well over a million people sheltering in the area, Claire. Many have been displaced multiple times. Benjamin Netanyahu says that this ground invasion is the only way to defeat Hamas. I guess this is why this news is falling down the list. It's not that it's not worthy. It's just sadly not a lot is changing. Yeah, they've been having that same sort of conversation for a little while now. Um, And interesting, as you say, even on the international news sites, not just in our monitoring, it is definitely coming down the list quite a bit. Mm. Um, There's no change to Israel's position. It seems to be this sort of churn of saying we're up for talks but we want the hostages back. There's still about 100 of those that are unaccounted for. As we said, the ultimate aim, obviously, of the Netanyahu government is to defeat Hamas. And there's still, obviously, a huge continuing humanitarian crisis in Gaza. It wasn't the biggest story, though. The biggest story this week is one of those state stories, Claire, that goes national. Victoria's power outage. Yeah, crazy week of wild weather in Victoria. Huge storms, also huge fires. We were discussing this, and this is about so much more than a power outage. It's actually about our ability to cope 
with them when they happen, when these big weather events happen. Talk to us, Claire, about the grid. Kate, this is a moment I've been waiting for for okay. quite some time now. <laughs> I've spent a bit of time in my squizzing like, life how long? <laughs> trying to understand how electricity works. For my part, I still think it's magic. I think, actually it's, I think it's magic it too. It's absolutely amazing to me that I can switch on a light. I know. It defies explanation, I yep. reckon. But when it comes to actually the grid, Look, I've got a lot of experience in nerdy topics, mm. as squizzes well and truly know, health, social security, retailing, all of those things. Um, knowing how our power networks are operated is something I had to read all on my own very deeply about and it's really, really tricky. And so- this is why, can I just say, this is why I love you because you would have spent <laughs> like a Saturday night learning about this rather than doing what normal people do, which might be, you know, go out for dinner, maybe watch a movie. No, Claire would have been like, it's my time to get across the grid. (laughs) (laughs) So let's have it. Yeah, I'm pretty fun. Um, It's very technical. (laughs) The system is very quirky, so it's hard to make too many big generalisations about Australia, Mm -hmm. but let's focus on the East Coast, which has its sort of big part in the national grid because, of course, most Australians live over that side. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a bit to get your head around, but the long story short is that for a few years now, the market operator has been warning of power shortages on the east coast of Australia because a lot of the generation plants are coal-fired and they're old. Been around for a while. Exactly. And then there's this conversation about the transition to renewable energy sources that will power those electricity generation plants in the future. So that's all happening. That process has started. Exactly. But the big issue of the times at the moment is that these big companies that own and operate these coal-fired plants, they're not going to replace them because burning coal is problematic and also their shareholders want them to move away from that. And it's a particular problem in Victoria because a couple of the big coal plants have closed there and are then planning to be fully closed by 2035, in fact. Yeah, and even a little bit beyond that for some of them. Um, It's a problem in other states too, but yes, that has absolutely happened. And remember, these coal-fired plants actually churn out most of our electricity at the moment, even that's to right. this day. Mm-hmm. Um, the remaining stations, though, that are in Victoria, they're going to close earlier than thought. So there's this transition issue. Um, keeping them open and working is a real challenge because the companies that operate them just don't want to spend any money on them. This is the thing. I mean, they're closing. As I said, 2035, Loyang, which we'll talk about in a minute, is supposed to be fully closed down and not operational. It's owned by AGL. It went offline as a result of the storms. There was a partial unrelated outage at Energy Australia's Yalorn plant. So if you're talking about locations, you'll hear about Loyang and you'll hear about Yalorn. (laughs) The storm crushed some big power transmission structures. The pictures of that you said to me were like Hulk strolled past and knocked them over. It's just incredible. Yeah. Like if you see the pictures, it's like, you know, these things, you see them on the side of the road sometimes or in the middle of paddocks. These are massive, big, big, big towers. They're just all crumpled over. It's like, like Transformers. Oh, it? like a giant yeah. came along and just went crunch. Yeah. It's just amazing. The end result, of course, was that more than half a million homes and businesses lost power on Tuesday. 70,000 at the time of recording this podcast are still without power and many could be left without power for days, for weeks. In the meantime, and this is where this all becomes quite interesting, is that some people are making money out of this. And that sounds a bit a bit crass, but explain. 
Well, I don't know that it becomes interesting now. I thought what we were just talking about was very interesting, but that's okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so these days, of course, many, many people, many listeners will have solar panels on their roofs. I've got them. Yeah, and they're hooked up to batteries. Have you got a battery? I don't know. Don't ask me that. I just moved in like two weeks ago. I know. Ago. That's true. I'm gonna come, I'll come back to you Thank about you. your battery. But they have batteries that are hooked up to store power that's generated off their solar panels. They can dispatch that power into the electricity grid. So you as someone with solar panels and a battery can actually get paid for the electricity that you're putting into the electricity grid. Back into the grid, grid. yeah. Exactly right. Um, What happened on Tuesday, though, in Victoria was that there was this spike in demand as those two big coal-fired power generators went offline and one company that helps households manage their own power supply was able to sell it into the grid for 19 bucks per kilowatt hour. Just the thing to note about that is the minimum benchmark price is 4.9 cents per kilowatt hour. Yeah, so $19 per kilowatt hour. Gotcha. There was a great piece in The Australian by um, a journalist, Jared Lynch, when he realised that, in fact, he was one of these people that was able to do that. And this is what piqued our interest, I guess, in how this all works at the moment. Um, As I said, I have solar panels in my home. I'm learning about all of this (laughs) as I go. To finish up, it's not just the lights that go out in storms and fires. And I I feel it feels funny telling people this because so many people listening will have been affected by this, but internet. Mm. telco services, water supplies, all of that is also knocked out. Well, remember we talked quite a bit about Optus and that outage Mm. and that people weren't able to call emergency services and that was quite a scandal. There are communities in Victoria that haven't been able to call emergency services for days Yeah, it's quite incredible. They continue to be without power. If you're in those places, hopefully you're able to listen to this podcast, perhaps not, but um, we hope you're safe and getting things back on track. A few other big stories this week. A couple of elections, Claire. We have a squeeze shortcut out on Indonesia's election. Give that a listen. But just to round it out, we had Indonesian Defence Minister Prabowo Subianto declaring on Thursday that he has won. Lots more votes to go, but this is where we're at. If you've been playing along at home, he's the one who former President Joko Widodo's son was his running mate, was chosen as his running mate. I didn't actually realise this in all of our coverage, that he's only 36 years old. They had to change the laws of Indonesia too to allow him to Ah. do that. So that's why there's a lot of focus on Joko Widodo and tricking the system to actually keep his family connected to government. There's this conversation Mm. around democracy and, you know, Mm. is it turning into more like royalty (laughs) rather than democracy? This is important though as well because Gen Z and millennials make up 52% of registered voters in Indonesia. It's a really young nation. Yeah, it really is. And so what Prabowo has done is actually make up a dance and he's designed all of that to go viral on TikTok. Maybe he has and his team probably has um, to really sort of connect with those younger Mm. voters. He's even turned himself and his cat into cartoons and actually in the announcement that they put out that they reckon they've won the election, it was their cartoon versions. This is all so strange. And, I mean, we've even seen this is very topical because Joe Biden joined TikTok this week. He's going to do content that, you know, he thinks is going to connect with a younger (laughs) voter. I noticed throughout the coverage a lot of young voters saying, 
saying, can you not try? You're trying too hard. And it is interesting whether they need to be there, but how they show up there is the fascinating thing. Yeah, it's like the modern version. I remember back in 2007, this conversation about Kevin 07 doing FM radio, whereas John <laughs> Howard could only do AM. <laughs> Just a new version of Just that, I reckon. Just a new version of that. Yep. Um, and perhaps it worked though. Um, of course, he has declared victory over there in Indonesia. From Indonesia to Tasmania, Premier Jeremy Rockcliffe called an early election this week. This was a shock. It was a bit of a shock unless you lived in Tasmania, I think. It seems like that conversation's been bubbling yeah. along for a while. What this is about is that in May last year, Lara Alexander and John Tucker, they're members of parliament there, they quit the Libs over plans to build a $715 million AFL stadium in Hobart. Um, that left Rockcliffe's government in a minority position. Mm -hmm. Those two now independents pledged to continue to back the government, but they haven't always done that. So it's been pretty rocky. This stadium issue has been really contentious in Tasmania. Of course, it's good to remember also that Rockcliffe's the only Liberal leader mm. in the country as it stands, but he says he needs an election to be able to govern in the way that he wants to govern. If he's beaten, someone else will have a go. On the stadium, though, Claire, the AFL says no stadium, no Tassie AFL team. So it's a big issue for voters down there. At this stage, both sides of government support the stadium. The contentious thing is how much it's going to cost. And, Kate, you said in one of our Year Ahead podcasts this is going to be a perennial issue. Can governments actually support all the infrastructure and all the putting on of big events? And this is just a version of that. Thank you. I did say that. You did. You're very smart. <laughs> oh, thank there you go. Um, also, federal politics, a happier sort of more warm and fuzzy <laughs> sort of thing. Indeed. So Valentine's Day, our Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, took his lady, Jodie Hayden, out for dinner. They got engaged when they got back to the lodge. Lots of listeners from Canberra will know the spot that they went well, out for dinner, And I, I wanted reckon. to point this out because we do have lots of people in Canberra who listen to our podcast and I didn't realise actually he didn't propose at the restaurant. No. He proposed back at the Can lodge. Can you imagine a Prime Minister? Well, I was kind of wondering <laughs> about restaurant. A, yeah, how that would have actually what worked. she said no? Well, in public. And down on one knee and people around. But anyway... The restaurant he was at was Italian and Sons, which is a great sort of institution in Canberra. It is indeed. And lots of eyes on the details of that. They had seafood. They had pasta. Okay. They had a really good night. A couple of glasses of wine I read. Yeah, Sh some Chardonnay. Chardonnay. Your Chardonnay. Yeah, a bit of Chardonnay. There Won't you go. mark him down for that. He's a real a romantic, Blanc, obviously. Yeah, okay. Claire drinks Savion Blanc for anyone yeah. who did not know. <laughs> Claire, the Super Bowl. We'll finish on this. Uh, Kansas City Chiefs versus San Francisco 49ers. Who won again? <laughs> yeah, it's a good question because... Was, even though it was this huge story, I think there were probably plenty of people who don't know what the result actually yeah. was. It was the Chiefs. It was a thriller, went into overtime, just a very big game. Yeah, it was a good night for everyone, unless you were a San Francisco 49ers fan. It was their third consecutive Super Bowl they've lost since winning in 1995. So they're on a bit of a losing streak. Yeah, wow. But the observation um, from us, Claire, is it was sort of the height of heights when it comes to positive news, a gripping final Lots of celebrity content. She who shall not be named was there. <laughs> Beyonce, the Justin Bieber speculation. Would he perform? Would he not perform? Usher did perform. The ads. It was all fun. It was all really innocent. And then we had a parade in Kansas City for the winning team, which ended with a shooting. Yeah, so one person was killed there. More than 20 were injured. The reports on that say that it started with a dispute 
between a group of young men. Um, Kate, gun violence in America, like again, we keep coming back to this. Mm. Um, The Gun Violence Archive, which is an independent research and data collection organisation, they have to have that independent organisation because the government doesn't actually collect these data in one central spot. Mm. Um, It defines a mass shooting as a shooting which involves four or more people who are shot or killed, not including the shooter. Mm. Uh, Last year there were 630 incidents of mass shootings. In 2023, the largest ever. The numbers are staggering. Coming up this week, Claire, a lot of news coming out from our companies. As we said last week, it's reporting season and we're talking profits. Yep, profits for the half. So just what happened between July and December. And ones that are, I reckon, guaranteed to create some news as we head into the week. They're in sectors that are under a lot of scrutiny. Uh, We're talking about BHP. It flagged 3,000 job cuts this week, so Mm -hmm. there'll be lots of questions about that. Um, Woolworths is reporting. The government, of course, is very interested in price gouging and competition and supermarkets and that sort of thing. Um, Medibank Private's also out. Of course, lots of questions about how it's recovering after that huge hack. Of course, yeah. And Qantas. So many questions for Qantas, how it's performing after the departure of CEO Alan Joyce. Claire, you nerded out over the power grid. Now you can tell us (laughs) about why Chris Jordan is a name to know next week. This is just the best week ever for me. So if you're an accountant or maybe you work for the tax office, I reckon we probably have some people who work for the tax office Mm. listening, you'll already know who Chris Jordan is. He's the Commissioner of Taxation. He's the leader of the Australian Tax Office and he's about to leave that job after 11 years. Long time. It's a very powerful job, that one, and many people have very strong views about the ATO and how it's run and how it goes about collecting tax from us. The reason we're talking about it is because he's speaking at the press club next week, but just to give you a sense, on the front page of the Financial Review this week, it said that his departure is scandal-ridden. Yeah. So he'll be speaking on Wednesday and sure to be a lot of interest in what he says and how he handles that final address, I guess. They rarely come out in public and give any speeches, these guys. So there will be lots of eyes on it. Okay. Julian Assange is set to feature big time next week as well. Oh, yeah, he sure will. So his final appeal will be held in London. It's to stop his extradition from Britain to the United States. Britain approved his extradition in 2022. So we've been waiting for this appeal for a while. It's his last chance to stop that extradition. It's going to play out in the High Court on Tuesday and Wednesday local time. And spoiler alert, that will be our news club topic for next week, unless, you know, the news happens. happens. Something happens. But I mean, it's a good one because the conversation around Julian Assange is not entirely about him. It's about freedom of the press. For some, he's sort of the poster boy for press freedom. For others, it's a lot more complicated than that. So it's ripe for News Club. Oh, I'm excited about that one. That'll be fun. There's also a concert we're going to on Friday, Claire. (laughs) Look, that's a trick to get me to say her name and I'm just not going to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Claire, before we get into Squiz Recommends, we have a message from our podcast partner this week. Same as last week, it's Lifeline. Yeah, and this one is for anyone out there who owns or runs a small business because you may or may not be aware that in 2023, new legislation was introduced which supports employees who might be experiencing domestic or family violence. Yeah, so what it does is allows any employee in Australia to apply for up to 10 days of paid domestic or family violence leave. Claire, given that one in four Australian women and one in 14 men experience domestic violence, it's likely someone in your business is affected. 
Yeah, they're fairly confronting numbers. So while there are these legal obligations as an employer, there's also all that comes with supporting an employee. And what this series does really, really well is provide case studies of what might be going on for someone in your business and then tips on how to tackle it. Yeah. So just to expand on that, one episode, for example, articulates exactly why an employee needs leave. So for example, they may need to go to court hospital, find housing, set up a new bank account, get counselling. So there's a chat about why work can be an important and safe place for them. Yep. And all of that is hosted with a lot of care by Gretel Colleen. Episodes are short, they're 12 minutes or so and jam-packed full of helpful information. Just search for Small Business Big Impact in your podcast app. Squeeze recommends this week. I am Denard Claire, but I think I have to go with a profile in Variety on J Lo, Jennifer Lopez. She has a new album out. I think it dropped potentially yesterday mm. or you know yeah. sometime around now. Um, there's also going to be a documentary called The Greatest Love Story Never Told, funded by her to the tune of twenty million dollars, mind you, all about her love life leading up to Ben Affleck. $20 million of your own money. <laughs> it's like, yeah. yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. She is, but she's a lot. She's a character. Yeah, she? yeah, she, she sure is a character. Is. Yeah. And look, that has prompted Kate, because I reckon we've spoken quite a few times in recommendations of these documentaries on people. Yeah. Um, Even just, I mean, Beckham, Arnold Schwarzenegger documentary. Exactly. <laughs> another one we really like. Yeah. And I think probably the one that really kicked all of this off was The Last Dance, which was the Michael Jordan, Jordan. funded. Mm documentary, yeah. which was incredible. Like it won heaps of awards and some of these other ones have too. But I've got a link to the New York Times. It's actually pulled apart. Is it a documentary or is it PR? And it's just interesting around how people with resources who want to tell their story are actually using that avenue now. It's really interesting. And it's a good example of um, having a quick Google and finding out how these things came to be when you're watching them, just so you get a sense of the potential agenda behind it. Squeeze Press, Claire, we asked you at the top to follow News Club on Instagram. Should we just leave it at that? Yeah, tick. Well done. We've moved on. If you haven't done it already, open your phone, open Instagram, <laughs> go to the Squeeze News Club, hit follow. You won't regret it. Thank you so much for listening to the Weekly Wrap. We'll be back in your ears on Tuesday with a new News Club episode. Until then, have a great weekend. Hold up. 